You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, if you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 6. We're taking a year. We're looking at John's gospel. And today we hit in John chapter 6, one of the most famous miracles of Jesus, where we're going to learn and see Jesus walking on water. But let me Google Earth, pull up, pull back. And, uh, and let, let, me, let me say this. This is a Bible. Okay, some of you are new. Take nothing for granted. This is a Bible. And as you read the Bible, it's in two primary portions. The Old Testament is before the coming of the Lord Jesus. It's 39 books written primarily in Hebrew. Then there's 400 years of silence. And then the New Testament. And the New Testament is after the coming of Jesus. And it is 27 books of the Bible, largely written in the original language of Greek. And as you start to read the Bible, it can at first be a little confusing or complicating. And I had this experience as a, as a person in college who was a brand new Christian. I started reading the New Testament. What's the first book of the New Testament? Matthew. I start reading. I'm like, oh, that was cool. Jesus' ministry and his teaching. And that was awesome. Then I start reading Mark. And I'm like, it's kind of the same thing. You know, what? why does it say the same thing? Is this, is it written by an old guy who repeats himself? Uh, how many of you have got a dad like that? You're like, I know, dad, I know this story. You, you just told me for the fourth time in five minutes. I know, dad, my kids have got that kind of dad. So uh, is this written by an old guy who forgets what he told? And then I read Luke and it's like, well, again, this book could have been a lot shorter. Uh, we could have summarized all of this and, and didn't need to take three. And then you read John and it's a little bit different. And you may, you may wonder, why is it that there are these four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that kick off the New Testament and tell us about Jesus? Here's why. God loves everybody. God loves all nations, all races, all cultures. Uh, we think that this heart for multiculturalism is new, and God's like, no, it's actually eternal. That's always been my heart. And so what happens is we send out missionaries, the Christian church does, to tell people about Jesus who have not heard about him or don't have the same language or culture. And what a missionary tries to do, they try to figure out how do I take this message and present it in such a way that these people can understand it most effectively and clearly because God loves everybody. The Bible is a missionary book. And each of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're written to different groups of people. So Matthew is written in large part to Jewish people. And they want to know, is Jesus Jewish? And is he fulfilling all of the Jewish promises that God made in the Old Testament. So Matthew writes primarily to Jewish people, connects Jesus to the Old Testament, and shows his lineage, his genealogy, back to Father Abraham. Mark is written to largely Romans. So in addition to being a very attractive name, the book of Mark has... um, has a lot of present, that wasn't funny, that was just an observation. It has a lot of present tense active verbs because it was written to Romans and Romans were like Americans. It was, a, it, was a, it was a melting pot of all kinds of people. And so they didn't really care if you're Jewish or not. All they care is, did you get the job done? Those of you who are blue collar, real practical, just get the job done, that's Mark. And so it's a lot of active verbs. He did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. It's a short summary. It doesn't talk about his ancestry or history or genealogy. It's written to Romans. 
Luke is written largely to Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people. And they don't really have a grave concern as to whether or not Jesus was Jewish. So the genealogy traces Jesus all the way back to Abraham, or excuse me, not to Abraham, but rather to Adam, showing that Jesus is for all people, that all people ultimately descend from the first mother, the first father, and we all need the same savior. And then you read John, and John's where we find ourselves for the better part of a year. And what is interesting, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are sharing 60% of the same content. John is 90% unique. It includes information that the others do not include. I believe it's because John was written last and he was making sure that anything that was not yet recorded was not overlooked or omitted. Think of it in this way. And here's what I want you to know. The Bible does not contradict itself, it complements itself, okay? We're gonna do an illustration of that today. The Bible does not contradict itself, it complements itself. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all telling us about Jesus, different witnesses, different facts and details, all contributing and complementing to the same truth. Think of it in this way. Uh, let's say you go home tonight and you watch the news, you turn on the local news, ABC, NBC, CBS. Those will have a lot of information the same. Many of the stories will be the same. You'll get the news, you'll get the weather, you'll get sports, you'll get traffic, and then they will each interview different people and provide some different perspective. And then if you flip over to the BBC, the British news, it's totally different. That's like John. It's, it's the news, but it's different stories and it's different topics. That's how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John work. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of like the local news. John is kind of like the BBC, a whole different perspective, but all telling the truth and all focused on the person of Jesus. That being said, what we're gonna do today, we're gonna look at this event where Jesus walks on water. John records it, Mark records it, Matthew records it. We're gonna look at all of their testimony of Jesus walking on water in history, and we're gonna see two things. Number one, I wanna repeat it, God's word does not contradict itself, it complements itself. And number two, the best way to interpret scripture is to allow scripture to interpret scripture. So we're gonna look at this occasion where Jesus walks on water on the Sea of Galilee. So I wanna get this in your mind. I don't, know, I don't know about you. When I first read the Bible and I heard of the Sea of Galilee, I thought a little lake or a pond. We went there as a family, we went out on the boat. It's a big lake, maybe seven by 12 or 13 miles. How many of you are from the valley, your natives? Okay, this is a lake, okay, that's a lake. Um, that's what a lake looks like, right? It's, for you, it's like a unicorn. You're like, I heard of them, I didn't know they were real. I've never seen one. That's amazing, okay, that's, that's a lake. So the, the, the topography for the story is that this all happens at the Sea of Galilee, okay? That being said, turn to John chapter six and we're gonna look at Jesus walking on water at the Sea of Galilee, John 6, 16 through 22. When evening came, now the situation is this, just prior in John, Jesus took a little boy's lunch, multiplied it to feed 5,000 men plus the women and children, a crowd of maybe 15, 20, 25,000 people, tremendous miracle, and they want to seize him and make him a king by force. That's what we just read previously in John. Evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. So they're gonna row across the lake. It was now dark, nighttime. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And this still happens on the Sea of Galilee. The wind will kick up, the waves will build up 
and you need to find shore. And even motorboats do not tend to go out during the roughest storms. Instead, they dock. So think tumultuous storm in the darkness of night. When they had rowed about three or four miles, and just think about this, how exhausted are you? Some of you barely made it in from the car. You're like, oh, 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 right? right? Imagine rowing all night, three or four miles, and they're already tired because they just ministered to maybe tens of thousands of people. And now it's nighttime and they're rowing in the dark. They saw who? Jesus, where's he walking? On the sea, on the sea, right? Some commentators will say he didn't walk on the sea, he walked on the shore and it gave the illusion of him walking on water. No, he walked on the water. And some of you say, well, that's unusual. That's why they wrote it down, right? <laughs> it is unusual. That's why we call it a miracle and not a Wednesday. It doesn't just happen all the time, okay? Jesus walks on the water, walks on the sea and coming near the boat, they were frightened. They're afraid, they're scared. Wouldn't you be? You're rowing, you're like, somebody's coming. <laughs> We're in a Scooby-Doo episode. Uh-oh, rot-row, right? Oh. So, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So one miracle is Jesus walking on water and then immediately the boat goes from the middle of the sea to the shore. Some commentators think maybe it was a second miracle where Jesus just shazam, moved the boat. That is indeed a possibility. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat. And they're like, where's Jesus? He's out in the boat. Well, there's, there, there's no boats missing. How did, he, how did he get to the boat without a boat? Well, he's got unique skill set. That's why. He had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away. Okay, let me talk about your life and then let's talk about Jesus in your life. First thing I wanna tell you, storms will come. Storms will come. Many of you, in particular if you're like me, how many of you are planners? Okay, that's what control freaks call themselves. Because <laughs> control freak sounds negative, amen? Planner seems responsible. So. For those of you who are planners slash control freaks, we like to know the future so we can prepare for it, so we can avoid the storm. So there's a storm, that's fine, I'll just, I'll just navigate around it, okay? Some of you were told, give your life to Jesus and everything will be great. They forgot to tell you after you die. They forgot that. <laughs> they forgot to tell you that. Now. Between accepting Jesus and dying and everything being awesome, there will be storms. I hate to break it to you. There will be storms. That's why the Bible says, don't be shocked, amazed, or surprised when trials, temptations, and troubles come, okay? Sometimes storms come because we make foolish decisions. Sometimes storms come because we make rebellious decisions. Sometimes storms come because we make sinful decisions. Sometimes storms just come. These disciples are in the midst of a tremendous storm and they haven't done anything wrong. In fact, they've done what Jesus told them to do. There are all kinds of storms. Some of you have experienced them. Some of you see clouds on the horizon. Some of you are in the middle of one. This can be financial, the bottom falls out. We're in a crisis. This could be relational. Man, we are at war. This could be marital. This is in turmoil, we are in trouble. 
This can be physical. I'm sick, I got cancer. What? I'm not well. This can be vocational. You're fired. Um, this can be parental. The kid is rebellious and walked away from the Lord and is heading as fast as they can toward death and destruction. Storms come. They're in a very real storm. Storms come. Storms come. Storms come. Second thing I want you to know, storms blow us off course. They left one place, their destination was another place, they're rowing, and they're not going the place that they were rowing because the storm literally blew them off course. How many of you, you had a course set, you had a chart, a future marked out and charted out, and you're like, here's where we're going, here's what I'm doing, here's my plan, and you're straining at the oars, you're working as hard as you can, you're like, I, I don't know how I got here. I was supposed to be debt-free, and now I'm in crisis. We were supposed to live happily ever after, and now I got served divorce papers. I, I, I took the job, and I got, I got a good performance review, and then the company went bankrupt. Uh, we were friends, and I don't even know what happened, but, but now we're enemies. I, I, I was very healthy and felt fine, and now the doctor says I could die. You're off course. I didn't intend to be here spiritually. I didn't intend to be here emotionally. I didn't intend to be here physically or financially or, or in any other regard. How many, how many of you, that's where you're at. Like, man, I was trying to get there and somehow I ended up here. And I've, the storm came and it blew me off course. And it blew me off course. That's exactly what has happened to them. Number three, some storms are beyond your ability to navigate. Some of these men, what was their vocation? They were fishermen. They had fished this lake. They had seen these storms. And even though they are seasoned fishermen who are working very hard, doing all they can, they fail. The storm is bigger than they are. It is bigger than they can navigate. How many of you, this has been your story? I did everything I could. I tried my very best. The storm is bigger than me. The storm won and I lost. They rode all night. Some of you, you know exactly what it's like to do everything you can, to work as hard as you can, to do all that you can to get to a place where you didn't want to be and to not get to the place where you wanted to be. Number four, fear is what happens when you look to your circumstances. Faith is what happens when you look to the Lord over your circumstances. Fear is what happens when you look to your circumstances. Faith is what happens when you look to the Lord over your circumstances. Jesus comes to them and he says this, do not be afraid. When the storm comes, you have to decide Fear or faith? Fear is what happens when all you see is the storm. Faith is what happens when you find Jesus in the midst of the storm and see Jesus ruling over the storm. Now, let me say this. Fear is a constant human problem. It works itself stress, anxiety, the number one command in the Bible is fear not. In some form or fashion, the most common command 
in the whole Bible. Just think about that for a moment. Everything this book says, or God says through this book, what do you think would be the most frequent thing God commands? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Because it's our biggest problem. If God has to say it all the time, it must be a problem all the time. Almost every time that God in his word says, fear not, somewhere nearby, he says, for I am with you. It is not that God will remove the storm, but that God will come into the storm and God's presence will bring peace even in the midst of the storm. This is where some of you are like, Jesus, take the storm away. And Jesus is like, no, I'm gonna go into the storm with you. This is where he says to them, uh, do not be afraid, it is I. What he's saying is, you're not alone. I'm here with you in the midst of it. So some of you would say, Jesus, take the storm away. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You don't need the storm to go away. You need me to draw near so that I am with you in the midst of the storm and can help you navigate your way through the storm. Some of you, your lives are gripped by fear. Some of you, your decision-making is out of fear. Fear of man, what will they say or do? Fear of circumstance, cause and effect, can I control the outcome, what will the future hold? Fear, fear is all about you trying to control the outcome. Faith is you trusting Jesus to control the outcome. I wanna tell you that fear is real and it's something that I have really struggled with. Um, and I will just tell you this, when you make decisions from fear, you make the wrong decisions. When you make decisions from faith, you make the right decision. These men were looking at their circumstances filled with fear. Jesus shows up and he tells them, I'm with you. Look to me, not the circumstances. Do not be afraid. And the converse of that is to have faith. I'll tell you some things about Jesus from this. Number one, I want you to be encouraged by this. Do they come to Jesus or does Jesus come to them? Jesus, that's good news, right? I'm glad the story is not Jesus was on the shore saying, well, boys, rough one. It's a lot better here on the shore. Good luck. If you make it here, I'm happy to help. All right, this is not just how Jesus worked. This is how Jesus always worked. The world sins, a storm comes, Jesus comes to the earth. He doesn't force us to come to him. He comes to us. Not only does Jesus come to the earth, Jesus comes to particular people with particular storms. You need to know that that Jesus wants a relationship with you, that Jesus wants to be present in life with you, that even if and when a storm comes, Jesus is willing to be in the storm. How many of you, when a storm hits, your friends disappear, right? The Puritans used to call these swallow friends. They leave when winter comes, right? You're like, it's going bad. Ooh, pray for you, bro. Let me know how that goes. Yeah, that's good. All right. Are oh, you doing better? Good. Okay, cool. I prayed about it and I feel called to be a friend again, right? This is... This is how Jesus works. Storm comes, he comes. That's amazing. There's very few people that are like Jesus, that kind of faithful friend who are with you in the midst of the storm. Jesus comes to those who are in a storm. Number two, Jesus is bigger than the storm. There are the men in the boat and there is the storm. The storm is bigger than the men. And so they are filled with fear. 
And then Jesus shows up and he's bigger than the storm. So they need to have faith in the one who has authority over the storm, not have fear in the storm. And the fear in the storm is the storm is bigger than me, but my faith is in the one who is bigger than the storm. Jesus is bigger than the storm. That's the good news. Some of you right now, life is difficult. I don't want to minimize or trivialize that in any form or fashion. Your circumstances may be bigger than you, but they're not bigger than him. Next point I want to share. The supernatural is bigger than the natural. They have a natural problem that they cannot solve by natural means. The storm comes and they're rowing as hard as they can. That's the natural. And they are losing. The storm is winning. Jesus shows up. He has supernatural authority over the natural. This is not a promise that you will get what you want, but it is hope that Jesus can do what he wants. And the supernatural authority of Jesus, it calms, it brings peace to the storm. Some of you, you have a natural problem, physical. You need Jesus' supernatural intervention. Some of you have a natural problem. You need a job. You need Jesus' supernatural provision. The, the supernatural is greater than the natural. And again, fear is what happens when all we see is the natural. Faith is what happens when we look to the one who has the authority that is supernatural and over the natural. And number four, Jesus can deliver from danger. What Jesus doesn't show up and say is, guys, this isn't a problem. They have a problem. Guys, this is not a big deal. It is a big deal. Sometimes as Christians, when we minimize the storm, we minimize the deliverance that God does to get us through it. Well, it's a big storm and it's a big problem. And Jesus comes to deliver from danger. Jesus saves from many things. He saves from Satan, sin, death, hell, the wrath of God. And there are times and occasions when Jesus shows up and he saves you from things right in the midst of your life. How many of you, Jesus has saved you from you, right? He's, he's saving them from danger. He's saving them from their inability to save themselves. So this is how John tells the story. It is the shortest account of Jesus walking on water. Mark also tells the story. Matthew also tells the story. Each one includes more details. And it's like we go from black and white to color to high def. Same story, more clarity. The Bible does not contradict itself. It complements itself. So now let's, let's look at Mark's account. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. And I've underlined some sections for you. And these are some things that Mark includes that John did not compliment. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat. All John told us, they got in the boat. Mark says they got in the boat because Jesus told them to get in the boat. And go before him to the other side, to Beth Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So we read in John's gospel that the crowd came, they were fed by Jesus, they wanted by force to make him and take him as king. And instead he dismissed the crowd and he released the disciples. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. We're gonna talk about that. That's an important detail. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he alone was on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against him. This, this is probably either supernatural revelation or a miracle. 
Jesus is over here on the mountain. They're out on the sea. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. A storm is absolutely bellowing and Jesus sees what they're enduring. I want you to know that Jesus sees what you're enduring. I want you to know that. Say, but he's far away. He sees. Well, it's very dark. Well, he sees. The storm has surrounded me. He sees. He sees what you're enduring. He sees what they're enduring. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against him. About the fourth watch of the night, so it's more details. Now we're into late, late night, total darkness. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. I, I don't know how this works. I don't know if this was funny. He's like, hey guys. You know, I don't know. That would have been funny. I, I mean, for me, I, I, I would have done that. Just could have been funny. Like they're all freaking out. Whoa, rough row. Good luck. You know, <laughs> I don't know. He was going to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the water, they thought it was a... A ghost, we're in a Scooby-Doo episode, right? Row, row. They're scared, it's a ghost. How many of you though, truthfully, if you're out on the water and you see somebody coming, you'd probably think it's not good, right? Not good. And cried out. They all saw him and they were terrified. They're scared to death. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And as he got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, the supernatural over the natural, they were utterly astonished. That, that's amazing. For they did not understand about the loaves. And then we find out that their hearts were hardened. Number one, sometimes Jesus sends you into a storm. Did Jesus send these men into the boat, into the storm? Yes or no? Yeah, that's what it says. He made his disciples get into the boat and row into a storm. Sometimes Jesus calls you into a storm. Not to break you, but to build you. Not to break you, but to build you. Sometimes this is where people get very angry with God. God, I did what you told me to do, and now it's all a mess. God, I did what you told me to do, and now it's all hard. I did what you told me to do, and it's not working. Yet. Sometimes Jesus sends you into a storm. Again, sometimes we get into a storm because we made a bad decision. But sometimes we find ourselves in a massive headwind, tumultuous conditions because of obedience. Because of obedience. Number two, do not be driven by need or opportunity, but solely the will of God. Do not be driven by need or opportunity, but solely by the will of God. Again, John revealed that the crowd wanted to seize him and make him king by force. What does Jesus do? He dismissed the crowd and he went up on the mountain to pray. Did God's people need a ruler, a leader to protect and defend them? They did, because the Roman government wasn't particularly good to them. You could argue very persuasively that they needed a leader. Was there an opportunity for Jesus to be that leader? He just fed a multitude. Now a revolution is underway. Maybe tens of thousands. Jesus is trending on Twitter. 
they're printing the t-shirts, they're putting the bumper stickers on their camel, vote for Jesus, right? It's, it's taken off, it's a real good start. There is a need and there is an opportunity and Jesus is not moved by need or opportunity, but solely by the will of God. Let me tell this to you, I love you. Some of you, you're doing things that God doesn't want you to do. And they're not bad things. They're not just things that God wants you to do. And your answer would be, but there was a need, so I volunteered myself. How many of you are those people, right? Some of you are people that you just, you wait for a need, and if there's a need, you step forward to fill it. Not every need is for you to fill. How many of you, you took an opportunity, but it wasn't God's will? I'll take that job, I can make more money. We'll just da, 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 da. But is that God's will? Well, I'm gonna date them. Is that God's will? Well, this is a good thing. It may be a good thing, but it may not be a God thing. We get in trouble, all of us do. We get overextended, burned out, overcommitted, frustrated when we make decisions based on need or opportunity. Jesus has an opportunity because the people sense a need. He does not He does not allow other people to decide what he does. You fear of man, people? Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man is a trap or a snare. Some of you have fear of man issues. What that means is you do whatever somebody tells you to do so that they will like you. Even right now, you're like, well, Pastor Mark, just tell me what to do. That's the problem, okay? That's all the problem. That you need to ask, what does the Lord want you to do? Right, The, the way you overcome fear of man is with fear of the Lord. The way you overcome fear of man is with fear of the Lord. Jesus is not driven by need, opportunity, or fear of man. He is motivated and driven by a fear of the Lord. So here's what Jesus does. He goes up to a mountain, lonely, isolated, all by himself, for an extended period of what? Prayer. He's heard from everyone else. Now he needs to hear from the Father. He knows what everyone else wants him to do. Now he needs to know what the Father wants him to do. The Bible says elsewhere that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to be alone with the Father. You need to do the same thing. We all need to do the same thing. For me, practically, I literally will schedule time a meeting with the Lord. I will fast, I will pray, I will journal out questions that I have, things that I'm struggling with, decisions I need to make. I'll have Grace and some friends of mine, including some pastors that are older and in our life and that we appreciate their authority. Could you please be praying for me as I'm meeting with the Lord? I'll go out to a quiet solitude place. I turn my phone off, right? No distractions. I'll sing, I'll pray, I'll prepare my heart. I'll read the scriptures. I'll talk to the Lord, I'll listen to the Lord and I'll ask him questions and I'll journal out what I believe he is saying to me. And then I come home and I share that with my wife, Grace. And then we pray together to confirm that that is God's will. We'll run it by wise counselors, pastors, leaders in our lives that we honor and we hold in high regard. And once we have confirmed what we believe the will of God is, then we can proceed boldly. And by saying yes to what God wants, you then have the freedom to say no to everything else. That's not a bad thing, that's just not my thing. 
That's a good thing, but for me, that's not a God thing. I know that's what you would like, but that's not what he said. That's not what he wants. That's not what he wills. Jesus had far more opportunities than he could possibly meet. And so he healed people, but he didn't heal everyone. He taught people, but he didn't teach everyone. He went places, but he didn't go everywhere. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, and he didn't do anything else. How did he know what to do? He went up on the mountain to pray. He went up on the mountain to pray. And let me just say this. The biggest mistakes I've ever made is when I made plans and I asked God to bless them rather than asking God what his plan was. How many of you have done that? You've made a plan, you're like, all right, Lord, I got it. You're welcome. Saved you all that time making a plan. All I got to do now, bless it. Woo! God's like, that's not my plan. I don't bless your plan. I bless my plan. Don't give me your plan. Come to me. Let me give you my plan. Jesus, let me say this. If Jesus needs time to confirm what God's, the Father's plan is for his life, you and I need the same. Amen? Don't be driven by need opportunity, but only by the will of God. And what this prayer also does, it's a time of renewal, refreshment, and revelation. You're gonna pour yourself out. Jesus had just poured himself out to the multitudes, right? Life is not just about time management, but energy management. If you are in a caring profession, if you're a teacher, a counselor, a leader, a manager, you bear additional burdens and responsibilities, maybe you're raising little kids, Maybe you're like my wife, Grace, and you're married to someone who's very high need, right? You get exhausted. You, get, you pour yourself out. You get alone with the Lord for re- renewal, for refreshment, for revelation. As you pour yourself out, you need God to pour into you. And that's what silence and solitude and prayer is for. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Number three, sometimes God shows up in your life and you don't recognize him. Now, I don't mean to rebuke you, but I do want you to receive this. Sometimes people say things like, God doesn't show up. God's never showed up in my life. God's not there. God is nowhere to be found. I'm abandoned. And the point is, he may be there and you may not recognize him. Jesus shows up. What do they think it is? A ghost. I got demons. Jesus is like, that, that's me. Hey, like, so, like, hi. Oh, it's a demon. It's Jesus, right? sometimes Jesus shows up, God shows up, and you just don't recognize him. It doesn't mean that God was not there. It may mean that you didn't see him or you didn't recognize him. And then the fourth point I wanna make, we don't just see with our eyes, we see with our heart. We see with our heart. What does it say about the disciples' heart? Their hearts were hardened, hardened. When the Bible talks of the heart, it speaks of the heart about a thousand times. Even in our culture, we still use the language, oh, that was very heartfelt. I just need to hear your heart. I need to see your heart. You know, my heart went out to them. They were heartfelt people. We use this language. The heart is the the seat, the sum, the center of who you are. It's your emotional life. It's your inner life. It's the real you. It's the real you. Jesus comes to them. They don't recognize him. They're filled with fear rather than faith. And there is Jesus standing right before them. Why don't they see him? Why do they have fear instead of faith? It is not a problem with their eyes. It is a problem with their heart. 
this is the, the, the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes people read the Bible and they don't believe what it says, not because they don't understand what it says, but because they don't like what it says. How many of you have had, I heard chuckles. Okay, that's honesty, right? You're like, I know what it says, I don't like it. Okay, that's a heart problem. That's a heart problem. Let me ask you this. Are these people, are they believers, the guys in the boat? They are. Are they followers of Jesus? Yes. And their heart is hard. Is it possible to be a believer in Jesus and a follower of Jesus, and at least in times, seasons, and occasions, to have a hard heart? Yes. It is. Some of you know what that's like. Like, I'm not praying. My heart is hard. I'm not reading the Bible. My heart is hard. I'm not coming to church. My heart is hard. If you had to pick one word, talk about it on the drive home, maybe with your spouse after you're both buckled up, <laughs> talk about it with your kids over dinner, maybe your life group this week. If you had to pick one word to describe the condition of your heart right now, what would that be? Hard heart, soft heart, open heart, closed heart, broken heart, healed heart, joyful heart, Angry heart, fearful heart, faithful heart, loving heart, vengeance heart, the heart. See, out of the overflow of the heart, decisions are made, words are spoken, and life is lived. The problem was not just that a storm was around them, the problem was that a storm was in them. And sometimes we look at the Lord and we're like, Lord, get rid of the storm. He's like, let me take care of the inner storm and then I'll take care of the outer storm. And sometimes we think, Lord, if you would just fix the outer storm, I'm sure that would fix the inner storm. The Lord is like, no. The circumstances can change, but if you don't change, then nothing has changed. Here's what I'm telling you. God cares tremendously about your heart because he's a loving relational God, okay? And if there's a storm around you, he will deal with that. And if there's a storm in you, that's his first priority. They have a hard heart. They have an internal storm. How many of you right now, you have an external storm, but the truth is the first priority has to be the internal storm, the condition of your heart toward the Lord, toward the Lord. John tells us, Mark adds some details. Matthew reveals the most of all. We'll look at the account in Matthew 14. I didn't underline anything here because for the most part, it's all the same information as John and Mark. Matthew 14, 22 through 27. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone by the boat, but this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking in the sea, they were terrified, said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart to desire, do not be afraid. It's all the same information, right? It's all the same. It's 
basically John and Mark put together. And there's more. And Peter answered him. Okay, now Peter's in. Well, this is new. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the... Well, this is a, this is a pivot in this story, right? Lord, if it is you, command me to walk on the water with you. He said, come. So Jesus invites him to come. Some of you need to know today, you're not Christians. Jesus is inviting you to come, follow him. Some of you have walked away from Jesus. He's inviting you to come back and follow him. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. He's a fisherman. He knows this is not how you do it. (laughs) Got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But, that's da, 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 da. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. There's the fear. And beginning to sink. Look, guys, I'm walking on water. I'm not anymore. All right. uh, (laughs) He cried out, Lord, save me. That's all you need to do with Jesus, friend. Lord, save me. Jesus is happy to answer that cry. Jesus immediately, I love the fact that Jesus didn't give him a lecture. (laughs) Well, Peter, you were doing good, and then it started to go bad. And if you would have read Psalms, I'm the one who controls the sea. Let's talk about this. (laughs) No, he has a need. Jesus meets it immediately, okay? Immediately reached out his hand. Jesus could have just said, up. Instead, Jesus extends a hand. You need to know this about Jesus. He always extends a hand. It's relational. He loves you. It's personal wants to be connected to you, wants to be affectionate toward you. Reaches out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And in the boat, they worshiped saying, truly you are the son of God. Let me tell you some things about Peter that apply to you. First thing, when the storm comes, You've got to look to Jesus and you've got to keep looking to Jesus. Okay? He he looks at Jesus and he's okay. He looks at his circumstances, he's not okay. He looks to Jesus, he's filled with faith. He looks at his circumstances, he's filled with fear. How many of you, this is you. How many of you sometimes, you feel like you're crazy. I love you, Lord, it's gonna be fine. I'm dead, it's over, there's no hope. Okay, Lord, you're right, I'll be okay. Oh my gosh, it's, oh, I'm, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna die. You're, you're just like. <laughs> my wife's laughing because she's married to this person. I am, I'm sharing dinner at our house. I'm not illustrating a point. I'm sharing a pain, okay? <laughs> look to Jesus, keep looking to Jesus. Some of you, you look to Jesus and then you stop looking to Jesus. And as a result, things are getting bad. What does this look like practically? Read your Bible. Pray. Be in relationship with God's people. Go to church. Sing to the Lord, okay? Invite God's presence. Seek God's presence. Spend time in God's presence. So that there can be a place of calm in the midst of the storm for him to minister to you. Okay? 
Look to Jesus, keep looking to Jesus. Some of you looked to Jesus years ago and you've not been looking at Jesus and you're sinking. You need to keep looking at Jesus. That's where the Bible says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's that fixed, that focus, that strategic, consistent, unwavering devotion and affection toward the one who saves. Number two, when Jesus commands you to obey him, obey him. Jesus says one word to Peter, come, come to me. Peter obeys him. When Jesus tells you to do something, you need to do that. Some of you, you're like, God, tell me what to do. He's like, I already did. I want to do something else. That's not how this works. I know, I'm scared. I know, that's why I told you to do it. So you could trust that I love you and I have a good plan for you. I, I talked to a guy recently and um, he said, God is not speaking to me. I said, what's the last thing he told you to do? He told me, I said, have you done that? He said, no. I said, then why would he tell you anything more? <laughs> he told you to do something. He's like, hey, we're just gonna stay there until you do what I told you to do. Some of you, God hasn't said anything because you haven't done the last thing he told you to do. How many of you, you got kids and this is how it works with the kids. You said, I told you to do something. They're like, no, what else? Like that, <laughs> I don't wanna do that. For sure, that's what's gonna happen because I know what's good for you. I love you, I'm the parent. Until you do this, we can't move on to that, okay? This is God's relationship with you. It's the father telling his children that they need to trust him and obey him. Number three, faith is simply taking the next step. Faith is an internal conviction that leads to an external action. Faith is what we believe and it's how we behave. So for Peter, what was his first step? out of the boat. Let me ask you this. Has the storm stopped yet? No. It'd be one thing if the storm stopped. Jesus is like, okay, calm now. Try it. No, come out of the boat into the storm. The only thing worse than being in a boat in a storm is leaving the boat in the storm. Amen? <laughs> you better make sure that this is what God's telling you to do. First step, out of the boat. Now, I don't know how this worked, can you imagine what this looked like for Peter? One foot in, one foot out, maybe leaning back. Jesus is like, next step. Uh, all right, next step. He is walking on water. Next step, walking on water. I don't know how many steps he took. At some point, he stopped taking the next step. And as a result, he started sinking. Faith is taking the next step. Peter, he got ahead of himself. He got ahead of the Lord. He started looking too far down the road and he missed the next step. Now, I don't, I don't know what the next step is for you. Some of you, it's buy a Bible and read it. Some of you, it's apologize to someone that you've offended. For others, it's forgive those who have offended you. For some of you, it's I gotta get up every morning and I need to pray and meet with the Lord before I meet with anyone else. For some of you, I need to get in a group and do life with people because I'm not doing okay and I need some people to walk with because I tend to walk astray if I walk alone. I don't know what the next step is for you. Some of you, I need to redeem my commute, listen to Bible teaching, sing to the Lord, not just listen to political talk radio and honk my horn. I need another plan, okay? <laughs> just something to pray about. So 
I don't know what the next step is for you, okay? But faith is simply taking the next step. Faith is very practical. Faith is very practical. Uh, next point. Faith unleashes the supernatural. Sometimes God shows up and just does the supernatural. He does the miraculous. Sometimes faith unleashes. So in this room, we have electricity, we have lights. And nothing happens until we flip the switch. And then the electricity is released and then the lights come on. Sometimes God's power is not released in your life because you haven't flipped the switch of faith. You, you, you don't really trust God. You say, well, I trust him for this. I don't trust him for that. I trust him with that person, but not with this person. I trust him for those circumstances, but not these circumstances. Faith is trusting God in all circumstances. And it is flipping the switch and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. And what is out of my hand is in your hand. And I trust you. And it unleashes the power of God in your life. So here, God didn't guarantee Peter that this was going to work. Jesus didn't say, Peter, take a step. You can walk on water. It'll be fine. I guarantee you this is going to go well. He said, take a step. And that faith unleashed the supernatural power and provision of God in Peter's life. Next thing you know, he's walking on water. Number five. Fear will sink you. When he is living by faith, he is literally walking over his circumstances. When he lives by fear, he is sinking into his circumstances. Fear will sink you. Fear is the vision of a future that is not including God's provision. Fear is vision without God's provision. There's the future and God's not in it. Fear turns us into false prophets. We predict a future that God has not promised. We then live in light. We live in fear of that false prophecy that we have prophesied doom over our own life. Fear, there's a little line It says, that his perfect love casts out fear. Because fear is like a demon spirit that comes in to haunt you, to torment you, to harm you, to take your joy, to take your energy, to take your hope. Fear is like a demon spirit that comes to ruin you and wreck you. And so the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Fear. Some of you don't just have an emotional problem, you have a demonic problem. And some of you would say, I'm just a fearful person and I live a very fearful life. And what I'd say is, you're a tormented person living a haunted life. Because perfect love casts out fear. Jesus loves you perfectly. Faith in his love for you will cast out the spirit of fear. See, the Bible says we do not have a spirit of fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Here's what I want you to know. Fear 
is not just part of your personality. Fear is not just the quirks and proclivities in who you are. Fear, fear is an evil that has come to ruin and destroy you. What happens to Peter, he's afraid. What does fear do? Fear causes him to sink. Here's what fear will do, my friend. It will sink you. Fear will sink you. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand. I love you. I'm trying to help. The worst decisions you ever made were out of fear. What will they say? What will they do? Fear of man. What will the outcome be? How can I control it? How can I manipulate the circumstances? Fear. How many of you, when you make decisions out of fear, you start sinking? And then your anxiety goes up and you become more fearful. The only way out is to look to Jesus and have faith in his perfect love casts out fear. The Bible says, because fear has to do with punishment. Jesus went to the cross and died for you. So God is not seeking to punish you. He's seeking to deliver you. Fear will sink you. It'll sink your marriage. It'll sink your family. It'll sink your business. It'll sink your legacy. It'll sink your joy. It'll sink your hope. It'll sink your soul. And faith will cause you to rise above circumstances and trust in the one who delivers. I need to pray for you. Father God, I can just sense it in the room. Father, there are some people here that are really scared. Um, Lord, they're fearful. They don't know what the future holds. They don't know what is coming. They're scared. They're anxious. Like these men who rode all night, they're exhausted. They've done everything they can possibly think to do. And all they see is a storm and darkness. They feel isolated and alone. They feel blown off course. They feel adrift at sea. Holy Spirit, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would come to them right now that you would bring the presence of Jesus, that you would bring the peace of Jesus, that you would bring the provision of Jesus, that, Lord God, as they look to the Lord Jesus, that they would take the next step, that they would live by faith and not by fear. And, Lord God, I pray against the enemy's servants, their works and effects. I pray against the spirit of fear. We rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and we ask for deliverance for these dear people whom Jesus comes to seek and to save and to serve because he loves them. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who right now are dominated by fear that they would be delivered by Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Just felt like you needed to be prayed for. Next point. A little faith is better than no faith. Jesus looks at Peter. Oh, you have little I read the commentators. Commentators, I love them. They're helpful, but they're cute and they live in an office and they don't do a lot of lake walking. That's the problem with commentators. And they'll pontificate, which is what you do when you have more degrees than Fahrenheit and you're educated beyond your intelligence. You pontificate. They're like, oh, Peter had a little faith. That's better than the other guys in the boat. Amen? I mean, like, they're like, Peter, you're sinking. He's like, I got out of the boat. You, you boys show me how it's done. You, you go water skiing without skis. You know, see how you do. 
Peter has a little faith. All you need to start is a little faith. Some of you here, you're like, I got a little faith. Good, that's all we need. Just need a little. Faith is like a muscle. It gets stronger as you exercise it. Okay? Now, Peter is a guy who, he's gonna, he's gonna take tests of his faith all the time. And here's what I love about Peter. He messes up a lot. This is why Peter's one of the most beloved people in the Bible. Like, who's your favorite guy? The guy who messed up a lot. Why? Because I identify with him, amen, <laughs> right? So Peter here, he has a little faith and he passes and then he kind of flunks the test. And through his life, he's gonna pass and flunk a lot of tests. He says, you know, Jesus, you are the Christ. And then he tells Jesus what to do. He's like, you passed, failed. Oh, dang. You know, later on, he's gonna deny that he even knows Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I don't know him, I don't know him. Little faith, failed the test. And then Jesus meets with him. He takes the test again. He passes the test. Here's what you need to know. A little faith is all you need. And even if you fail your test, Jesus lets you retake the test. You didn't have a teacher like that in school, amen? If you did, you were homeschooled, okay? <laughs> your mom loved you, <laughs> okay? Peter will fail his test and then Jesus lets him retake his test and he passed the test and then he can graduate to the next level of faith. He starts with a little faith. At the end, history outside of the Bible records that they came to Peter and they said, if you don't deny Jesus, we're gonna crucify you like we crucified Jesus. And Peter said, feel free to do so. Please just hang me upside down. I do not deserve to be crucified like Jesus was. He was not afraid of death. That was little boy faith. Years later, he's got big boy faith. As long as it's in sincere faith, it's a faith that God can work with and a faith that God can grow. And a little faith is better than no faith. Last one, then I'll tell you a story. When the storm comes, and I am sorry for the storm. When the storm comes, you, my friend, have two choices. Worry or worship. Worry or worship. You're gonna have emotion. You're gonna have turmoil, right? The sea of your soul is gonna be tumultuous, a lot of energy. You're like, I gotta do something, I gotta do something. And so what some of you start to do is you plan rather than pray and you worry rather than worship. How do I know? Because that's what I do. They are worried and then Jesus comes and they worshiped him. Some of you, maybe you're like me, you're freaking out. Some of you have a spiritual gift of freaking out. Right? That's your thing. You're like, I'm good at freaking out. I'm so good at it. I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. It's like, don't freak out. Worship God. But then instead of talking about the Lord, you talk about the storm. Well, here's what's coming. Here's what they're saying. Here's what they're doing. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's like, where's Jesus? I don't know. Let me tell you the problem and all the things I'm dealing with. I need to make a plan. I'm very worried. Maybe before you start planning, you should be praying. And instead of worrying, rather, you should be worshiping. Take all of that energy and don't give it to the storm. Give it to the Lord who rules over the storm. 
This is why worship needs to be the first thing we do, not the last thing we do. This is again, time in God's presence, reading your Bible, praying, singing, joining us in church. Some people say, well, you know, worship's a lot more than just singing songs in church. It may be more than that, but it's not less than that. It's not less than that. Worshiping is what people do to cause the storm in their soul to find peace in the presence of God until the Lord brings peace in the storm that is around them. Worship brings an internal peace that allows you to sustain your life until there's an external peace. Let me say this. God doesn't need you to worship him. You need to worship him. You need to worship him. Especially in the storm. So let me close with a story. Try to make it real practical as your pastor. And um, thanks for letting me teach the Bible. I love you and I love teaching the Bible. And... um, we saw a storm on the horizon. How many of you, you say, my storm came quick. Others are like, no, those, those clouds are rolling in for a long time. We saw a storm on the horizon four years, okay? And I'm fearful and anxious and worried, and I got my family in the boat, and I'm rowing. I'm going to outrow the storm. I'm like, it's, I'm losing. I'm exhausted. I am fearful my body starts manifesting the symptoms of the anxiety and the fear. I go to write one day, and I can't write, my hand is like, who is this guy? Lost my eyesight, I can't read. Doctor says, you're stressed. I was like, obviously. Can't sleep, I've had two intestinal ulcers. I've had, uh, twice I've fried my adrenal glands. Just anxiety, stress, fear. Storm rolls in. It's a storm. Storm is bigger than we can control. I think we've done everything we can do. I'm not doing well. I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus, but my heart is in turmoil, not at peace. My wife has the gift of faith. My wife, in various times and ways, says, we need to find Jesus in this storm and we need to stick close to Jesus through this storm. All right, we're going to pray together. We're going to read God's word. We're going to seek wise counsel. We're going to submit to our pastors. We're going to reject lies. We're going to receive truth. We're going to worship, and we need to make sure that our family sticks together because the worst thing in a storm is a few of the kids get thrown out of the boat. So then we ask the Lord Jesus, okay, what do you want us to do? Because like, there's a storm there and a storm there and a storm there. I don't, I don't see a calm way forward. Jesus literally spoke to both of us. That's all I can tell you. We weren't even in the same room. And literally told us, step out in faith. Literally. Step into the storm. Same thing as Peter. Step into the storm. Well, I don't like the boat, but I feel better about the boat than I do no boat. 
Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What does the Lord have for us? What's next? We have five kids. What? Take the next step. Take the next step. Take the next step. We end up in Arizona, which I feel good about. There's no water. Oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> so. And, and here's what you need to know. The Trinity Church has been a wonderful shore for our family. A peaceful place of God's presence with God's people. Um, I want to publicly thank and honor Grace and the kids for looking to Jesus and taking steps of faith. And I want you to know that part of my heart for our church family is that this would be a peaceful shore. Some of you ended up in Arizona because a storm hit. You lost your business. You got divorced. You're like, I didn't intend to be here. And God's like, no, but this is a good shore for you. It's not where you wanted to be, but it's where I need you to be because I love you. Part of the ministry of the Trinity Church is to be a safe harbor, a calm shore, a peaceful place. If you are new, you need to know that surrounding you are some wonderful people that are very easy to love and they have been through some storms and they want to help you find Jesus in the storm so that you can have peace internally until he gets your storm resolved. This church is a wonderful shore. It's an honor to be your pastor. I love you with all my heart. And what we're going to do now, we're going to worship instead of worry. We're going to seek the presence of Jesus, even in the midst of whatever storm we might be in the midst of. And as we worship, we are working on the internal storm, trusting Jesus to work on the external storm. Amen? So I'll call the band forward at this time. We're going to take communion, remembering Jesus' broken body, shed blood to deal with our sin problem. Once he deals with the sin problem, he can deal with our other problems. I want you to sing to Jesus. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to clap your hands, clap your hands. If you want to kneel, kneel. As long as it's not distracting to others, we welcome you to worship. And here's what I can't do. I can't promise you that the next step will be easy. But I can promise you that if the next step is with Jesus, you're going to be okay. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the scriptures. I thank you for the chorus of witnesses that tell us faithfully and accurately and historically and truthfully not only who you are, but who we are and how our relationship with you works. Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring the presence of Jesus. We invite you to bring the peace of Jesus. We invite you to bring the provision of Jesus to this place for these people. Lord Jesus, we come to worship because we need to. It helps us not to worry. We come to focus on your love so that it'll cast out that spirit of fear. We come to grow in our faith so that we can walk over our fears. We come to bring our hearts so that the internal storm could be resolved and that we could trust you step by step to navigate the storm that surrounds us. Lord Jesus, these are people that are precious. I pray for your presence and your provision with them, in them, through them. 
And Lord Jesus, as we come to meet with you, we pray that we would experience your goodness as Peter did. And we trust you in advance in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.